Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. My next guest is a vegan and a professional bodybuilder that founded a plant-based sports nutrition company. He has nearly three decades of experience in the natural foods and supplements industry and has spent many of those years exploring the world of Omega Nutrition. Right now, I'd like to welcome Jeff Palmer, CEO and founder of Clean Machine. Hi, Jeff, and welcome to the NutraCast. Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, Tell me about Clean Machine and how your vegan lifestyle led you to where you are today. I became vegan back in uh, March of 1985. So I've been vegan for 38 years. And in that, I found it to be a passion to try to help others um, understand uh, how plant-based nutrition applications can help not only with health, but also with fitness. I was a competitive swimmer in high school and college and loved fitness and once uh, my father was a uh, university professor, my mother was a psychologist, so I was raised around academics. And as soon as I became vegan, uh, of course, I was challenged on the scientific why. <laughs> and, and so it led me to a research. In college, I was a biopsych major. I didn't finish my degree, but I did find a love for reading research. And because it was uh, opening so many doors uh, to not only answers, but deeper questions of why things work the way they do. So uh, in application of that, I said, well, you know, I've worked for some of the top companies like uh, uh, UNFI, a leader in in, um, distribution, uh, uh, 24-hour fitness and and gym and fitness channel, uh, vitamin shop, MRI and ProLab and BSN on the sports nutrition side. So I gained experience in all of the different aspects from retail to uh, gym and fitness to distribution uh, to product development and the branded side. And um, I saw a lot of what good the industry has the potential to do, but I I was really more interested in the plant-based sector. So after being compensated $1 for my latest patent, because that was part of my employment contract, uh, my wife just t- turned to me and said, why are we making these people rich? Why aren't we doing this ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> so here you are today. Tell me a little bit more about Clean Machine and, and what it involves. So, yeah, obviously the the name Clean Machine comes from my desire to help people keep this amazing machine, the human body that we're born into, clean and healthy, like free of drugs, uh, free of animal products and to reach optimal health. Uh, I'm 60 years of age. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm a natural bodybuilding and natural physique champion uh, on the bench machine, decline bench machine. I bench 450 pounds, all natural and 38 year vegan. So I really wanna be an example to show people how to live optimally using plant-based nutrition um, and clearly understanding some of the the things that hold people back from going into plant-based nutrition. They're afraid that they're not gonna get enough protein or they're not gonna get enough essential fatty acids and and omegas. And so I really dug deep. And for the last 
25, 30 years, I have been just combing through the research. Now, in the beginning, the research was not available. They didn't cover, one, healthy people very much. Two, they didn't cover or include people on a plant-based diet because there were so few of us back then. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the research is really starting to change, especially within the last 10 years, really starting to see more research done by universities and even by industries that are funding research into health promotion, life extension, and even including those on a plant-based diet to see and show the differences. And that's where the research has really been getting exciting and where a lot of the research that I talk about in my presentations and lectures all over the country on omega-3 nutrition really stem from. Yeah, so you're very passionate about omega-3s. Is that a product that you sell? So I was not interested in selling an omega-3 product because of I was more interested in understanding how we could explain to people or communicate to people or educate people on the difference between plant-based omegas and the typical fish oil or what we call preformed EPA and DHA. Yeah, so you've, like you said, you've been combing through the research on omega nutrition for a couple decades now. For those who aren't familiar, maybe could you give us a little information on ALA, EPA, and DHA and how those conversions work? Yes, all herbivores on this planet and and some omnivores actually convert ALA down to SDA, then to ETA, then EPA, and then DPA and DHA. So there are actually six forms in that conversion chain. Most people and most researchers only focused on EPA and DHA. Now it's interesting that there are only two essential fats as we know it, which is ALA, which comes from plants, is an omega-3, and omega-6-LA, which also comes from plants. EPA and DHA are generally not found in plants because animals do that conversion process to switch them down to that. So the assumption was that it was better to get them pre-converted by an animal and then eat those pre-converted states of EPA and DHA. But I've been vegan for (laughs) 38 years. And in that nearly four decades, I have never consumed preformed EPA or DHA. Now, if it was true that we actually need EPA and DHA, I'd be dead or brain dead at least, (laughs) which is not, not clearly not the case. Okay, so so you say most people don't believe ALA converts sufficiently to DHA. Correct. So what has changed your mind? Yeah, so that assumption was based on um, initially plasma research, which is blood draws. You can draw the blood and see how much ALA gets converted to DHA. And what was happening was less than 1% was being converted uh, to DHA in the bloodstream. Now, everybody has assumed that that meant, well, then we're not converting enough. We don't produce enough of the enzymes. Okay, so let's take a look at the enzyme theory. So if our body doesn't produce enough of the enzymes to convert ALA to DHA, the exact same enzymes are used for the entire uh, um, 
process of converting omega-6 to omega-6 DPA. Now, how many people are out there saying everybody should be taking an omega-6 DPA supplement? Absolutely no one is saying that. How many people are saying you need to take a preformed arachidonic acid, which is pro-inflammatory omega-6? Well, no one is saying that. We're actually saying just the opposite. So if the exact same enzymes are used to convert LA to arachidonic acid and DPA, but nobody says that's a problem, then why are the exact same enzymes that convert ALA down to DHA suddenly a problem? It can't be both. It's either it's not a problem because the enzymes are there, because the enzymes both convert omega-6 and omega-3, or it's not a problem. And it's clearly not a problem for arachidonic acid or DPA, and we know that. It's a fact. Then where did this idea that there weren't enough sufficient enzymes? So the enzyme theory is just kind of ridiculous. It's absurd because the exact same enzymes are used for conversion, both omega-6 and omega-3. So then they said, well, wait a minute. We're finding that even in the tissues, which is beyond the bloodstream, even in the tissues, there's low conversion. But they were looking at those consuming a standard American diet, which is an omnivorous diet, inclusive of fish and animal products. Well, the Epic Norfolk cohort study showed that the enzymes fluctuate depending on your diet. So if you're eating preformed, ALA um, preformed uh, EPA and DHA, like in fish, the body epigenetically turns off the production of those enzymes because it's already there. You don't need the enzymes to convert more to EPA and DHA if you already have exogenous or outside the body or dietary intake of EPA and DHA from fish. So they looked at that, and in the Epic Norfolk study, they found that uh, those eating fish had lower amounts of enzymes and those who didn't eat any fish or were not intaking any higher, any amounts of preformed EPA and DHA, that enzyme production increased to compensate so that more conversion was happening. So the early studies were only including people eating exogenous or preformed EPA and DHA. When you do that, the body shuts down its own conversion process because it doesn't need anymore. Just as if you take testosterone and you introduce it into your body, your body shuts down its own production of testosterone. If you take testosterone long enough, it can shut down testosterone production in, inside your body completely. Fortunately, that's not the case. Uh, because we've seen Inuits or, or those living in Alaska, native peoples living in Alaska, have eaten fish for a long time. And then when they come back to eating a, a more plant-based diet, all of the, those uh, ALA conversion enzymes restore to normal levels over time. So we know that this is a preserved function and that this conversion is unidirectional, which means it only goes one direction. Well, if ALA is the first step, and then EPA is the fourth step and DHA the final and last step. If you take DHA, you do not get any of the other five forms that the body uses for functions. So why would you want to take something that's the very last step in the conversion process and only get that when you can take ALA 
and you can get ALA, SDA, ETA, EPA, DPA, and DHA from it. Why not take the one that's only from plants? Animal products don't contain ALA in significant amounts. And then why would you take it from animals when it's downstream? The body doesn't want that. Now, there's a real good reason for that, so that the body has enzymes to turn on and off those enzymes to maintain the exact amounts of each one of those six forms of omega-3s. Sometimes it may need more SDA. Sometimes it may need more ALA. Sometimes it may need more EPA, like in the bloodstream. And sometimes it wants to reduce or turn off the production of DHA because DHA can do things like increase oxidative stress. It can, uh, DHA can increase LDL cholesterol levels. Now, if you have LDL cholesterol levels and you're taking DHA, which can actually promote more LDL, this might not be the right approach for you. But if you take ALA, the body will only convert as much DHA as it needs. So you allow the body to do this endogenous regulation by turning on and turning off these genes that produce the enzymes so that the body has the exact amount of each one of these for each specific tissue, for each type of person, for each health condition, for each age group, for each gender. These are different requirements. Mm -hmm. And the body has this beautiful endogenous five-step enzyme-controlled regulatory system to make sure you get the exact amounts. And here we are as humans just taking these arbitrary amounts in preformed, jumping way downstream and overloading the body with forms that it says, well, wait a minute, I didn't create that. That's too much or too little. Or, you know, you create imbalances by putting preformed um, EPA and DHA into the body. Going back, you mentioned the blood tests. Why do those blood tests show such a low conversion rate? Exactly. So there's amazing study uh, research on, on blood. First, uh, they found that blood plasma, which is the whole blood, was, was not the proper place. They said it needs to be intracellular. So great. So they looked at the red blood cells, right? Because that's actual tissue. And they found that the more ALA you take from plants, actually the lower DHA you will find in red blood cells. Uh, first they thought, oh my God, that's an evidence that ALA is not converting sufficiently. It's actually depleting the cells of DHA. Well, an amazing study came out showing that for cardiovascular disease, that ALA and EPA were better. They, they gave ALA to people and found that it, it improved their overall inflammatory status, especially in the blood where inflammation can cause cardiovascular disease and promote uh, inflammatory diseases throughout the body. So you don't want this pro-inflammation of the blood. Well, they found out that DHA actually increases LDL cholesterol, as I mentioned, but also interferes with the body's ability to reduce C-reactive protein. So normally you would want to get DHA out of the blood. And that's exactly what the body is doing. It's saying, oh, great, we have ALA and EPA in the blood. Let's kick out and get rid of that DHA, which could be counterproductive. So they found that by taking people who were consuming preformed in EPA and DHA and gave them ALA, 
they increased their cardiovascular 10 to 20%, improved cardiovascular mechanisms like C-reactive protein by 10 to 20% on top of that. So ALA was actually functioning better than DHA. This is why the body is actually removing DHA from the bloodstream, from the red blood cells. So the whole omega index numbers, which are based on red blood cell count, is potentially wrong. <laughs> so to get to the root of that, the researchers that uh, were taking a deeper dive into this at the University of Toronto. Now, this is, is uh, research that is not published yet, so I can't go into detail on it, but I would like to uh, talk about the summary of what they found. They used a whole different methodology of trying to figure out how much ALA is actually being converted in the tissues. Now, the body can convert ALA into DHA inside tissues, fat tissues, brain tissue, liver tissue, okay? So the body we found actually takes ALA and stores it for up to a year in the body and waits and converts it on an as-need basis. That way, if you have a disruption in the body, like diabetes, they found in a huge Chinese study with tens of thousands of people that EPA and DHA did nothing, zero change in type 2 diabetes mellitus. But when ALA was introduced, a 20 to 30% improvement in overall inflammatory markers and markers for type 2 diabetes. So this is a huge difference. They looked at, okay, but are the first three forms, ALA, SDA, and ETA, important? They published this study, Determinants of Fluid Intelligence and Healthy Aging in an omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acid frontal parietal cortex structure. That's the title of the study. And the quote, and I'll quote directly from the study, the mediation analysis revealed that one pattern of omega-3 PUFAs consisting of alpha-linolenic acid or ALA, stereodonic acid or SDA, and eicocitrionic acid, or ETA. These are the first three forms. Remember, these first three forms you do not get if you're taking or consuming EPA, because EPA is the fourth step in the ladder, and it only goes down from there to DPA and D DHA. So by taking EPA and DHA, you're not able to get any of the ALA, SDA, and ETA used in the study. And they found that those with the highest amounts of ALA, SDA, and ETA was linked to fluid intelligence and total gray brain matter volume. It was actually protecting the brain from brain tissue loss. This is how important these first three steps are, these first three forms of omega-3, and you don't get any of them because of the unidirectional conversion if you're only consuming EPA, like is what is found in fish and animal products and even algae. So you don't get any of these benefits of protecting fluid intelligence and your, <laughs> the size of your brain. I think that's pretty important. Mm -hmm. So the study you mentioned, it's not published yet. You're expecting it to be published in Q3 or Q4. Talk to me about, you know, why your stance and why this study are controversial. Yes. So 
we needed a better form of testing to find out how much exact ALA is being converted to DHA to find out how much is in the brain. So another study followed that up that was asking how much DHA is actually stored in the body. And the, the body stores, they found up to 50 grams of DHA stored in fat tissues, brain tissue, liver tissue, and other tissues. Okay, why is the body storing so much DHA? Well, there's a good reason for that, so that we know, don't run out of uh, DHA when there is food scarcity. So this is a very good system for the body. Well, then they looked at, well, how much is the brain actually using on a daily basis? And they found about two and a half to three and a half milligrams of DHA is required by the brain for proper function. Well, if we're storing 50 grams or 50,000 milligrams stored DHA and the brain's only using two or three milligrams, we're having about 20 to 30 years worth of stored DHA in our body at any time. So they took animals, and I'm not a believer in animal research, but it's there. They took animals and they depleted the DHA from their fat tissues. And then they fed them only ALA and their brain fully restored DHA. So we know, at least in animals, that the body can, their bodies can restore this based on ALA alone. They totally do this. Obviously, you can't do this type of test because it's dangerous to humans. You don't want to deplete them or cause brain injury do, uh, because of this. But what they found is there wasn't any. There wasn't any brain injury. Uh, once the depletion happened, they immediately started feeding them ALA and immediately their brains restored to normal levels of DHA. So that functionality is there. But we still didn't know what was going on in human beings for sure. So the researchers have developed a brand new process called carbon isotope. So carbon isotope and, and, and forgive me for those who are deep into the science for very loosely <laughs> being able to try to communicate this in more simple terms, but basically long chain fatty acids are chains of carbon, right? These essential fatty acids are made of these really long chains of carbon atoms. And the carbon signature can leave an isotope trace or tell you basically what is it, kind of like the waste product of a, of a usage. So this leaves a, a very definite signature that absolutely this amount has been converted to DHA. And when they did that, they found that 50 times more DHA was converted than what they assumed was happening in the bloodstream. 50 times more. This is how far off that blood research was and is. And our whole omega-3 index, which most nutritionists, doctors, physicians, scientists, researchers base their assumptions on, this omega-3 index is coming up very invalid, especially for those consuming only ALA, because it's not showing hardly any DHA in the bloodstream at all. Of course, if you eat or consume DHA, the blood's going to run rich with it. We know that. That's where it goes from your digestive tract into the bloodstream. So of course it does that. It doesn't mean that the body doesn't convert it when you consume ALA and it doesn't show up in the bloodstream because that's not where the conversion is happening. It's happening in the tissues. And we only know that through this new method that was developed 
the University of Toronto by brilliant researchers that I've been talking with for several years now. And I'm so excited because I think, believe this study will finally put an end to this fear that people are not getting sufficient amounts of DHA or EPA uh, from ALA or plant sources. It just simply is going to shatter that myth and, and hopefully direct people past getting past a fear of not getting enough DHA for their brains. I'm living proof. I'm almost 40 years deep into not consuming any preformed DHA at all and only consuming ALA and SDA. Now, some researchers have said, okay, but what about the rate limiting factor for enzymes? Some people have uh, a certain gene that may inhibit their abil body's ability to produce the proper enzymes. And that, that's what led me to an amazing breakthrough in as far as omega-3 nutrition is. So the first step is called uh, delta-6 desaturase. It converts ALA down to SDA, okay? That is called or mostly referred to as the rate-limiting enzyme, the first step. If you can get past that first step, you can generally supply enough of all of the rest of the other five uh, forms of omega-3s. Okay. So if that's the case, what about if you had a plant that was really high in SDA, which is bypassing that first rate limiting step? Well, when I talked to the researchers and discovered what they had found, these growers had grown this plant called ahi flower. Ahi flower is the richest source of naturally occurring non-GMO SDA of any plant on the planet. So for the very few percent of people that have a problem with that D6D desaturase enzyme, that rate limiting enzyme, we now have a plant product that has both ALA and SDA and can compensate by having pre-formed SDA in it to circumvent that uh, particular issue. So that's why I'm so passionate and excited about having a product. I was one of the very first companies to bring it to market. It won the Nexty Award at, so at uh, uh, Natural Products Expo West for the best new supplement ingredient of the year back in 2016. And we're one of the top sellers of ahi flour in the United States right now. I am passionate about how amazing this plant is. And with the depletions of our fish in our ocean right now, it's clear we need to change directions. And I think if we can communicate to the people and educate them that EPA and DHA and their preformed states are not necessary, we can get away from moving away from this dependence on fish oil uh, or even algae oil uh, from these polluted waters or even the, the amount of impact that happens when you grow fish in fish tanks. And now we have something that is regeneratively grown that is naturally occurring is non-hybridized, non-GMO, a true plant source that can meet everyone's needs for all six forms of omega-3. Jeff, you are so passionate about what you do. Thank you so much for breaking down everything for me here on the NutriCast. Uh, obviously, don't shoot the messenger. This is a conversation. 
no research is final. We're always discovering more uh, great news, but I wanna share this information because the common dialogue is based on assumption that I believe might be false and it's worth taking a look at the data to, to try to analyze it and see for yourself. Jeff Palmer, CEO and founder of Clean Machine, thank you so much for coming here on the NutraCast and breaking down Omega Nutrition, maybe stirring up a little bit of controversy, but hopefully some productive conversations will come out of it. Absolutely. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.